0: Good morning, my little anklets. It is now Tuesday morning and it's now 8.30am. The weather has cleared up here in London. We have some bright blue skies, a few wispy clouds about, but it's a definite improvement what was about yesterday. Hardly any wind, which uh, I think could be a good thing if anyone wants to go out on their bicycle. I think I've got another day at my desk coming up. I've got two projects which I need to address. And address them I will... So this is the last remaining part of how I became an interior designer. As you know, I took a whole summer off from my permanent job that I had. I just left, I wanted to do something different, wasn't quite sure what. I took the summer off, had a great time. And then around about December time, uh, just after my birthday, I realised I was going to have to go back to work at some point. And I rang an agency friend of mine and she deals with quite a few um, really interesting posts for celebrities wickedly, weirdly enough. Um, everything from sort of PAs and executives to chauffeurs, chefs, all these types of things and they have very unusual jobs and I thought I would quite like to come back and do something part-time not for a celebrity but just in general. What did she have? I just fancied something different and she said well actually we do have a a job and i think it would be up your street and i said what is it and she said it's actually moving someone house and i said moving someone house and she said yes she said they is an old gentleman and he's he's a barrister he's always lived alone never married and lives in a rather large house in st john's wood which is sort of north london but very close to the center of town and he's moving house from a big house which is sort of dilapidated into a smaller house which i think he's found round the corner and you'd be in charge of everything do you want to do it and i said well i think i should meet him first and she said that's a good idea she goes but because obviously he works monday to friday could you meet him on a saturday and i said yes no problem of course i could say that because i wasn't didn't have a problem with that at all if you can imagine I was just floundering around in the winter months at home so got got up got dressed on a Saturday morning and went out to see the now infamous Mr. Hunt Mr. Hunt was a barrister um, reasonably sprightly on his feet he did have and still have he's still around he has a cottage down, or rather up in Suffolk, which is north of London, it's another sort of county on the coast where he likes to go sailing. So he had a little cottage anyway, but he had this huge house. And it was my job to go in and sort everything out. But nothing, repeat, nothing could have prepared me for what I saw when I crossed the threshold into that house. You have to imagine a very large... Very, think of a rather very important road um, very sort of quite busy but not it's not a motorway not a freeway nothing like that with a huge double fronted house a huge double fronted green door green wooden timber door with a fan light above it to let the light in into the hallway Georgian windows, sash windows, but everything looked a little bit tired, everything looked a little bit faded. The front garden, the quite huge front garden had weeds in it. It was quite something to behold really. And it looked like, it looked like almost as if it was sort of haunted. It didn't look eerie, just looked haunted, very unloved. And I knocked on the door at the allotted time and waited for these footsteps to come to the door to let me in and there stood in the doorway an elderly gentleman of around about sort of 60 years of age very clipped British accent and he said do come in and so I did there were these beautiful doors and I was obviously staring at the paneling because that's just the way that I am and I walked in into the hallway, into this tiled hallway, and gazed around in wondrous admiration. Mr Hunt's house was not so much Throwback Thursday, actually it was Throwback Century. He had a working servant's bellboard in the hall and I just really gazed at it because and the reason why I knew it was was because the bell was still ringing from when I'd hit the bell on the outside of the front door he was dressed in what I can only sort of describe as some very shabby slippers um, but he had on trousers and a, and a shirt. His hair looked a little bit wavy, shall we say. Um, and he said, come in. And as I gazed around at the hall, as he was shutting these double doors, there were two sets, incidentally. He said, come into the parlour. And I thought, the parlour? OK, I can do a parlour if you can do a parlour. I walked in, the carpet was threadbare. The light that was coming in from the street on the front of this reception room was dampened a little bit by these graying, ripped, net curtains. If you know what net curtains are, strewn across the windows. There were these faded silk, and they were silk but ripped curtains with fringing, hanging down from these enormous dusty curtain poles. There was a Camelback sofa in the center of the room. Now a Camelback, for those that don't know, um, it doesn't have a straight back. Basically it it goes up in one hump um, at the back. That's a Camelback sofa. This was in ruby red, faded ruby red velvet again with fringing, if you tapped it, dust flew up. By all intents and purposes, this place was very much like Miss Havisham's. That's the only way I could describe it. Miss Havisham's from great expectations. And he was living in it. This well-to-do barrister who clearly knew, obviously a lot of things, certainly knew the law backwards but hadn't done anything with this house. In the corner of this room was a huge, and I mean, we're talking about three inches, crack running down from the top, from the ceiling, from the the high ceiling, all the way down to the floorboards below. On the walls was a very pale grey, silk flock wallpaper faded naturally gilt wall lights were sort of strung around but they weren't on there were these huge sort of cast iron radiators that were sitting beneath the windows but those weren't on either despite it being january instead he had a very 1970s two bar electric fire that was plugged into the wall. Quite how he didn't kill himself because the wire was trailing um, across the room. I'm sure I don't know, but he managed. There were mahogany wall chests on the wall, no TV, quite a few stacks of newspapers. He read and still does read quite avidly. And I sat down on this dusty sofa and he told me what the job was. He realized that he had to go from a very large house, which every single r- room had furniture in it, and he had to go into a much smaller house. So it was a, he, he went from a seven bedroom house to a three bedroom house. And it was my job to make all the necessary arrangements, um, get any new furniture that he needed. I hasten to add I wasn't given a budget, I did everything on a shoestring because he didn't want to do anything else. That was my remit and frankly as you can probably imagine I couldn't wait to get started. If one room was like that what were the other rooms containing? So I moved around the house with Mr Hunt. All I can say is every room was threadbare The dining room had cut glass, crystal, all manner of um, glassware. Everything from crystal decanters to champagne glasses en masse. I mean, there were just so many of them. And they weren't all put away carefully. They were out on the dining table, just stacks of them just standing there. There were canteens of cutlery in boxes there were um gilt pictures on the walls all on obviously all the wallpaper was still up there it looked faded some of it there was a few bits of um not so much so rips but things that had come away it had clearly been up there for years everything was covered in a thick layer of dust there was this a uh, georgian dining table in the dining room which was which had all this uh, amazing um china ...sitting on it, and there were sort of mahogany cabinets all the way around the room, um, carrying all sorts of manner of things which you could barely see because they were glass-fronted, but the glass was so dirty you couldn't see in there, and I thought I spied some Lalique, and... I almost wanted to rip the cabinet open and say, is that what I think it is? But I had to frame myself. In the end, it did turn out to be Lalique. You can imagine the finds that I was looking at as I was walking around. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, and I said, is all this coming with you or are you? what do you want to do? And he said, well, I think a lot of it's going to have to be sold. And I said, yes, I think it might have to be too. And he said, I, he said, I was thinking of getting Bonhams round. And I said, yes, I think Bonhams would be a very good idea. Bonhams being the auction house. So I said, well, if you, I thought, if you don't call them, I will um, or someone like it. So we moved on around um, all the dining chairs. They weren't sort of seated around the table. They were all pushed back against huge bookcases. There were books everywhere. Um, and all. And they were not talking just the sort of the common garden novels that you get nowadays. These are all hardback books, novels. Um, I don't know whether they were first editions. I'm undoubtedly they might have been somewhere knocking around. Um We made our way to the back where the study was. I thought if that wasn't bad enough, the study had um, a rather rickety chaise long in it. silk covered, of course, silk damask covered. It was was actually a very pale green damask, silk damask cover. Um, And it was sort of in the corner there. Again, more newspapers upon it. Um, Huge amount of bookcases in here. um, A pedestal desk. Pedestal desk is is that desk that has, it has the top and it has two sets of drawers and then you have a knee hole in the middle. That's a pedestal desk. The leather on top of that was ripped. It was stained. Um, And I said, what do you want to do about this desk? And he said, I want to keep it. I said, in which case it should be restored. I can get the leather on top restored or replaced for you. And he said, great. Um, He said, I can't find the keys to the drawers. And I said, that's fine. I'll sort that out. Um, And I said, why are there so many books on language? There seem to be lots on language. vast amounts of travel books and his mother was a linguist so she traveled extensively she was technically a housewife she didn't do any other work if you like apart from working every so often as a linguist Um, she was a housewife but she had all these books and this apparently was her domain and there were a few sort of mirrors around and this was at the back of the house and this overlooked the huge garden out the back now I want you to picture it was like something out of, there's only one way I can call it, it was like Downton Abbey. It was this huge grassy garden, which was not not in bad condition, because Mr Hunt did do some gardening, but, um, but it was out there, but it was huge. And he said, oh yes, we used to play tennis out there. He said, I've still got the tennis things, would you like to see them? And I said, well no, not right now, but maybe later, because it, remember it was January. Um, but they played tennis. He could still remember having staff, having servants... And how they would all have, you know, jolly tennis matches out there all together as a family because there were him um, and there were, he had, I think, a brother and two sisters um, and obviously the parents. So he had lots of memories that he was telling me as we were sort of moving around. But I could imagine his mother sitting at this desk, either practising her languages or writing some papers or whatever, looking out to the garden whilst the children played um in this huge garden, um, almost in the centre of London. So Mr Hunt and I moved back through the house into the hallway, and there were some steps going down, and I said, well, I said, these are, I take it, go down to the basement of this house, and he said, yes, they do. Come down and look there, and I said, what's this drop over here on the right-hand side? And I realised it was a dumb waiter. This is where the servants had brought all the food up from the kitchens and they'd moved it all into the dining room. And it was still working, which I couldn't get my head around. It wasn't dilapidated at all. I and mean, I know that they built things to last back in the day. But this was, I thought, quite extraordinary. So I looked at that very briefly. And then I, we moved downstairs, down these very narrow, as you can imagine, rickety stairs, down to the basement and there were just the odd um, electric light bulb sort of guiding our way. Downstairs, the house was in more um, of a bad way. So I think someone had put some kind of lino down there, to sort of in place of carpet, which the carpet that was there was threadbare. There was a room at the front of the house, which was, I suppose, some kind of peculiar sort of almost kitchen Um, dining room for any kind of sort of servants there was a sort of table sort of set up there a kitchen dresser and sort of a pine kitchen dresser plates sort of stacked about but in the corner there were stacks of paint um, which I couldn't get my head around because clearly no one had done any painting for uh, at least four decades and then there was we moved I moved into the kitchen and that was the real shock because that had I kid you not a working 1950s fridge he even had a newspaper article saying, "Yes, I have the oldest fridge in London," and I looked at this guy. And he would he would speak to you as if it was perfectly a normal thing to say. I would laugh because I found it ridiculous, and he would laugh back. There was nothing, um, there was nothing odd about him. Just in the way that he lived, and I said, "Does it still work?" He said, "Yes, it does." He said, "It's a fully working." He said, "Occasionally, the the you know the catch." on the door, I, you know, I, I have to sort of, uh, you know, keep it shut with a, you know, with a rubber band. Um, so obviously you can imagine my face. I just, you know, looked practically horrified at him, but it did work. It was this huge, it was, I don't know where it was from. It was definitely from the 1950s. He showed me the newspaper article and it was, it was, I think it was like 1951 or something like this. Um, but it still worked. He still had it. It was still going strong. It was, it was quite pretty as you can probably imagine cream, cream, cream it was was just what you what you would see in the 1950s films these days anyway uh, but then next to it was this um this rather strange oven which was clearly from i think the late 1960s and that was in such a disgraceful state you just sort of didn't want to touch it this was a guy i imagine who either didn't see dirt didn't want to see dirt but that's how that's how it looked um, the kitchen sink was bizarrely, scrupulously clean. Um, there was a, it was a double sink, so I think that he was sort of chucking his tea leaves down one, so one was slightly brown, but the other one was spotless. It was quite bizarre, and he had cupboards. I mean, not fridges. This is where we would put but most people sort of put their vegetables these days, but these vegetables were in cupboards, and there were mountains of them. And I said, look at all these vegetables. And he said, yes, I bring them from the garden in Suffolk. And I thought, of course you do. What else would you do? There were carrots, there were potatoes, there were leeks. They all still had earth on them. He hadn't washed them yet. There were carrier bags, uh supermarket carrier bags full of apples. And I said, do you have an orchard? Yes, he said. Of course he did. Why why else you know, of course he would have an orchard. This is, you know, the realms of fantasy land. And I said, well, I take it, you you know, whatever kitchen you go to, you can't take these with you. And he said, no, I, I suppose I'll have to go. Um, so we walked into the other room and that, this was the laundry room. And there was a brand new Hotpoint washing machine. And next to it was a working mangle. <laughs> yes. So he he had, he was obviously using the, the washing machine quite normally um, with his you know sort of washing flakes that, that he used but there was a working mangle next to it to wring out the clothes if he needed wringing out any, any more, and an, an old tin um, basket that he would use for carrying the uh, the washing up and down it was quite remarkable moving from the laundry room if you could consider it into one of the other rooms um, which I can only I'm going to call it the linen room because I don't know what else you would actually call it and in there were these huge floor to ceiling cupboards uh, not painted but inside Um, funnily enough weirdly they were they were lined the actual shelves of these cupboards were lined and they had old-fashioned sheets and blankets in them Um, also in there were stacks of tea sets uh, with sort of you know china very sort of fine bone china um, with all sorts of sort of floral patterns and some had art deco patterns on Uh, inside there there was another huge bowl which turned out to be Lalique the problem with that was it was chipped so it didn't raise quite as much money when it when it eventually did go to auction but that was there and everything was sort of dusty and sort of decaying there were garden implements in corners as obviously well as as well as the paint that was in the, uh, the sort of the kitchen area everything was sort of very dark there was a um a cloakroom down there so there was a um a, a toilet down there so that's i think i we really got um i think the, the impression here that as i was sort of looking around that it was a home that he didn't take care of but he was sort of existing in that's what came across. So I wanted to help this man. Um, you couldn't sort of open certain doors. They were sort of stuck fast. Some had keys, some didn't. Um, most things were, strangely enough, labelled. So he'd obviously wanted to be organised himself a little bit, even if the place wasn't sort of tidied up and repaired. So we we left reluctantly the basement um, and went back upstairs to the hallway and he said, Right, let me show you the, the you know, the bedrooms um and the one bathroom and I thought, Well that's interesting. Here you have a seven bedroom house with one bathroom, which obviously would never happen nowadays. So we went up the rickety stairs. The staircase still looked very beautiful, past the working servant bellboard, past all these sort of pictures, um, lots of black and white photographs, family photographs on the wall, everything as you can imagine, dust laden. Um, it's very difficult, I think, when you're going past something you think that's got dust on it, not to sort of wipe your finger across it. I had to refrain um, up to the first landing and then into the bedroom um, where his mother had died. I, I mean, it sounds almost sort of Norman Bates. Any second now, she's going to come out in her wig and dress, um, or he is, one of the two. Um, and I walked in, and there was <laughs> there was this um, was Louis the Fourteenth furniture uh, dotted around this huge bedroom there was a kidney-shaped dressing table um there was this ornate bed still with this bed spread on it um i won't say it was completely untouched obviously he'd had a bit of a tidy up his mother had died quite some many years before but it had a few there was a few working lights there were quite a few bulbs that were out in the house there was no forget all this recessed spotlights everything was done by wall light um or there was a crystal chandelier of course what else would there be um so I looked around at that and I said, I think Bonhams would take a few things from here. Again, the carpets were threadbare. There were things in every single drawer. There were books in drawers. There were everything from place settings, more cutlery, um, no clothes. I think those had already been got rid of, which is probably quite a nice thing, really. I think I always think it's quite sad when you go through uh, a deceased person's clothes. But those had all gone. So we moved out. Um, into the other bedrooms, and they were piled high, every single one of them piled high with furniture. There were Art Deco beds, there were mahogany, amours, there were Scottish chests, there were tall boys, there were chests of drawers, um, some rickety, some not, different woods, pine, teak, mahogany. It, uh, there was just so many. Um, some of them had, there were, there were a vanicky, um Dressers and bookcases. Uh, look that one up. They're, they're glass fronted. Um, some of the panes of glass were cracked. There was an enormous amount to do. Um, and the decision really had to be made by him of what he wanted to take, what was worth keeping and what wasn't. And really the only people that could tell us that for sure were people like the auction houses because they knew what was worth it, what could be sold and what could not be sold and would um, go with him to the new house. But, of course, the new house, that was my job. Every bedroom you went into, there were torn curtains. There were greying net curtains that, basically, if you took them off their wires, they would stand up. That's how long they'd been up there. Um, nothing had been cleaned. The windows were in a dreadful state. The walls were cracked. There were cobwebs in every corner. Um, but the furniture was just sort of waiting to be rejuvenated. And I'm quite a cleaner, so I'm not sort of OCD or anything or completely mad, but I looked around and I thought some of this stuff just needs a good clean. There were Victorian slipper chairs, which are those very, very low chairs, um, sort of a round seat and a very sort of short back sort of scrolled over, usually um, upholstered and studded at the back these had covers on they had and the the covers that they had on were was a very very thin cotton ripped of course but it showed a hunting scene um i don't know whether these things were um worth anything or not i suspect not once we had bonhams round they were just looking at everything as you can probably imagine um but the art deco beds obviously were of interest um they still were the original sprung beds um so there was none of this sort of divan nonsense that we see today um and he didn't have any idea about um, mattresses and things like that. All well, the bed linen was very old. Some of it was actually um, sort of embroidered, marked with their sort of initials, which was quite um, quite nice to see, but quite bizarre. Uh, the bathroom was the most interesting thing in some ways, because that was obviously clearly 1970s. An avocado bathroom suite um, with half tiles going around the bath. Um, so not full up the wall, um, but it didn't have a working shower. So it had a shower attachment. So, and I, you got, you don't want to, you, half of you wants to ask and the other half doesn't want to ask. Um, so obviously he took a bath with these really old, these are very old, you know, this avocado suite and these threadbare towels. The heating didn't work. Um, I mean, how anybody lived sort of, if you like in the 21st century like this, I know, but this is London. This is a guy who has money, holds down a job as a, you know, as a barrister. He's been doing it all his life. Does he think this is normal? I couldn't. He must go to places where where he sees that what he has, you know, isn't up to scratch. I mean, things were barely working and I mean barely working. So and I just wanted to make things right. I wanted to to look after him. I was just stunned by what I saw. Um, There were on some of the beds that that were made there were candlewick bedspreads you know those ones from the from the 1970s um in various different colors you know sort of uh sugar pink and and pale lemon yellow um and then we got into his bedroom and that i think was the, probably the one of the most staggering rooms upstairs of all because that he was in this single bed and there were just tables dotted around and this enormous smell of mothballs hit you as you entered the room. And I just thought, is he, he obviously thinks that there are moths here. He knows that there are moths. He thinks that mothballs are the answer rather than clearing the place out. I didn't see any moths. All I could smell was mothballs. So in some ways, I suppose that they were doing their job, but I didn't know quite what to do. There was, he had this very small, um, which I remember from the 1980s, alarm clock by his bedside table, if you can call it that. Uh things were falling apart. There was a there was a couple of chairs which had which had lost legs. I, whether they were sort of projects for him to do, I've no idea. Quite why they were in his bedroom again I don't I haven't any idea. Um there was one light. It was on one singular light bulb hanging lone down from the ceiling. And it wasn't a very strong wattage. So it sort of gave off this sort of curious sort of red light district um effect, with all this dark furniture and this candlewick bed over this single Art Deco bed everything covered in dust floorboards now we were onto floorboards and he had the odd um, sort of round or oblong shaped very very small rugs Persian um, but what you could see they were Persian but I thought they'll come up lovely if you get them cleaned I was making mental notes even then um, to go around and literally just make a note and just take everything out you know recover what I could Um, and everything else. And I thought that Bonhams would actually take most of the stuff, which they did take some of the more um, interesting stuff for him to pay for his new home, um, which I'm glad they did. But I certainly had my work cut out for me. After we came out um, onto the landing, after we'd finished the inspection of the upper part of the house, which was another, obviously, being seven bedrooms, it was two to three storeys, it was quite huge, I said to him I said well this is it's quite a job and he said would you like to take the job and I accepted immediately I practically I think bit his hand off Um, and I think you couldn't hide the the I don't know the look of joy on my face when he said the magic words which were but Belinda I'm going to be at work all day so you'll be here on your own left in this house doing it all by yourself those were the magic words I work better on my own. I work faster on my own and I will do my utmost to do the best job that I can. I can't. I don't, I'm not one of these people that sort of does things by halves. So I said, I'll take it. I didn't even ask what he was going to pay for it um, at this point. I just thought I'm going to do it anyway because it would be a, just a joy to do. So we went back down the rickety stairs I looked at all the all the uh the old doors with their brass handles on, the panelled doors, the fading paint, the flaking paint, um, all the original skirting boards, the the original windows were all there. I said, Is it listed this building? We have this thing in, in the UK where buildings are listed. Um the first one is obviously is grade one. Grade one and then it sort of goes down to grade two and there's obviously grade two star and various other different things. But he said it's not listed at all which is why the developers were interested in it. Now this is obviously the sad part. The developers were going to come in here as soon as it had been sold and rip the place apart and probably get rid of those um basement rooms and put in a put in a a garage for the, you know, for someone's for somebody very wealthy for their new car, for their 4x4 and there'd be an up-to-date security system. They'd extend out the back and get rid of the uh, the Downton Abbey tennis court garden. Um, they'd just brighten everything up. Spotlights would put in, um, but they would restore the house. In some ways, it would still be standing because it is in a street that was and is still very well known. It's They wouldn't be able to change it. You would be changing the character of it. And the bare bones of the house was good, except it just needed lots of work. And I think Mr Hunt was quite sad to go but he didn't and doesn't and still doesn't really strike me as sentimental he's not that type he's a very learned gentleman and so he reads an awful amount of things um but i i, th- I think quite honestly he was glad to go it, yeah i think he realized that the house was just going to be too much for him to do it had gone too far it needed somebody with deep pockets to put this right, the way that it should be put right. You you can't muck around with a property like that. There's not many properties that you can really muck around with. And I know that some people do for rental purposes, but this just wasn't going to be an option. So I went back down the stairs, shook hands again with Mr Hunt, left him to his electric fire and his camelback sofa, um, went down the steps into the street and breathed deeply into in the January air. And fired off an email immediately to my friend at the agency and said I'll take it it's quite something and she said did you see the upper floors when I spoke to her next and I said I did and she says I never got to see them and I said I'll take photographs which I still have I should put them up really but perhaps not that's probably quite rude Um, but he's not there he doesn't mind he knows Um, we're good friends now anyway and he's still one of my he's obviously my oldest client um, quite literally but he's a great man. Maybe I'll maybe one day I'll get him on to um, I'll get him on to anchor and interview him. <laughs> then you'll all be sorry. Um, But yes. So the next time I spoke to Mr. Hunt, I arranged to go around to start the work. I think this was on a Saturday and I think I agreed to start um, in a few days time, like on a Wednesday. In the meantime, we got Bonhams in and Bonhams went around and they collected a lot of the things that they knew that they could sell. Which means that was the uh, Louis XIV furniture, um, the mahogany cabinets on the walls, um, some of the china, um, some of the cut glass, those types of things. Quite a few bits of furniture, but they left a lot of the things that were in need of repair. And that was uh, for me to do, which I enjoyed doing and looked forward to. Turning up that first Wednesday, I think it was for Mr Hunt's job. He met me at the door. I was there quite early. He sort of again walked me around and said if i if I wanted to use the kettle i was I was more than happy to but i'd I think I'd bought a hot chocolate with me. You can imagine it was so cold, and there being no heating there, how on earth are you going to spend an entire day in that sort of f- freezing house Um I'm not surprised you went off to work and hadn't retired. You couldn't stay within that house for a, a long period of time um but I put on my jeans, I had my boots, and i had a Parker coat on because I knew I was going to get dirty and I brought with me um, a carrier bag full of cleaning things, cloths, um, bleach, um, all sorts of things, polish, I wanted to see what the some of the furniture would come out as, um, a couple of rolls of <clears throat> black refuse bags um, to send out to the trash, um, more on that later, and just general things. I think I actually bought, amusingly a feather duster with me because I needed to get up into the corners. And of course, the first thing I did when I went around was to, I was sort of pat around the house, sort of reminding myself of what was there, what could be done, what couldn't be done, um, what could be saved, what couldn't be saved, and just to see what Bonhams had taken. As I said, they'd taken quite a few things, which in some ways was great because it meant that I didn't have to worry about them finding them a home. They were going off to be sold. He would have had the conversation as he did have um, with me like he did with them about you know where these the provenance of them, where they 'd come from, et cetera, et cetera. So we did all of we we'd sort of done all of that. Um, I bought my own luncheon um he gave me the key to the house, which was hilarious. I still have the key to his house. I have the keys to pretty much all the properties that i've um ever worked in funnily enough. They always ask me to come back and do a bit of maintenance here or Uh, here or there or everywhere and he's no different in that respect so I came in and and I sort of saw him out the door amusing off to work shut the door and thought right and I knew that I needed music so um, I plugged my then iPod in we didn't have really iPhones and iPods all together at that point Um, so I put my iPod on and got to work And I just decided I would sort of just clear stuff out and I thought I would just start with the easiest things and just put stuff into rubbish bags. This became a thing that I would do day in, day out. So it was, think of it, I would get there at uh, nine o'clock just before he left for work and I would leave before he came home. Remember it's winter, so it gets dark at about sort of three o'clock in the afternoon. So for the last two hours of the day you're working almost in the sort of red light district um light of um of his home and he had i discovered one tv which was bizarrely not in the living room with the camelback sofa and the and the fire it was actually in the back room where the study was where the old pedestal desk was and the linguistic books um which i thought was quite strange uh, not downstairs either in the in the kitchen very very odd he he must have moved from room to room um, doing various different things, but that was it. So every day I would have quite a few bags of rubbish. And I did say to him, what do you want me to do with the rubbish? He said, oh, I'll just put it out for the bin man. And I said, there's going to be stacks of stuff. The interesting thing was he would come back of an evening and go through the black sacks and take out anything which he wanted to keep. And some of it was staggering. There were sort of broom heads which were worn down, that were missing all of their, um, shall we say, brushes, their 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 bristles. There were threadbare cloths that basically really shouldn't be used anywhere, let in anybody's home. Um, but he would still say, these have got some life into them. I mean, he was a real stickler for hanging on to stuff. I wouldn't say he was a hoarder. Perhaps it was difficult for him to let go. Um, I used to ask him all the different things about what he could I get rid of this? Could I get rid of that? Do you want to take it was usually my usual question. Um, and happily, he would get rid of lots of stuff, but he did go through the bags. If there were some things that needed to go that I didn't want him arguing with me, I used to take them out myself and used to just dispose of them when I got home um, because I, I didn't want him to be, if you like, saddled with items that he would no longer use and would have no use for. I knew what was going to happen in the new home, but I don't think he did. Um, I don't think he realised at all. But I needed to see the new home that he was moving into, so I asked him to take me to see it with the estate agent, and uh, one morning we decided to go round and see that first of all. Mr Hunt's new home was um, effectively only up the road from him. It was a another sort of um, large... Georgian house but it was as I said only three bedrooms rather than the seven bedrooms this was a terrace house whereas alone it was a completely his old house was a uh, fully detached house Um, so I think it was it was going to take a little bit of getting used to but I think he got used to it surprisingly quickly there was a small tiny um, paved over garden at the back but the front of the garden um, front garden actually had quite a few shrubs and roses and things and he does like his gardening Mr Hunt so He was quite happy with that. And let's face it, he had his whole garden and whatever he had going on in the orchard back in Suffolk. So I think he's got enough gardening um, places to be going on with. But we walked in and that was so much better. Um, It wasn't so, shall we say, freshly painted. There was a a fairly new sort of parquet floor. There was a built-in kitchen, which was the first he'd ever used. You have to remember, this is a guy who had never used um, a microwave oven before. And so this is actually quite shocking to most people when they think about it now. But um, he'd never um, used a dishwasher. He, in fact, he still doesn't use the dishwasher. I'm the only person that uses the dishwasher when I go round. It's quite hilarious, really. And that's only so it keeps working and the plumbing keeps going. Um, he'd never used a dryer before, as in for drying clothes. Um, there were all these sort of strange sort of things. He'd never had a working shower before. He'd. That, this was shocking. A shower screen, what was that? Had no idea. Um, and I just thought, where has this guy been living? I mean, it's not as if he's not sort of in the big, big wide world. It was just strange. It's not like he haven't, he doesn't stay in hotels. It was all just rather bizarre. But I sort of went around and I, and I measured everything. Um, I needed to measure every single alcove, um, every wall, um, the heights of things, stairs. Where could I put this? Where could I put that? Um, what about there was obviously a master en suite. He'd never had an en suite bedroom before. That was shocking to him. Um, and there were just it was just, he didn't he didn't know what Roman blinds were, um, and he was sort of thinking about the radiators and do you know what did he need to do because they were a different kind to what he'd been used to even though that they didn't work. Um, there were all these sorts of different questions that you sort of had, and you just realised that the breadth of the task sort of ahead. It wasn't just me moving him home and furniture; it was actually getting him used to a new way of life. And even though I didn't really, I, or I knew it wasn't necessarily my remit to get him used to his new life, I knew that I was part of that. Um, it's the same sort of thing as when I did styling before. If someone says, I just want to change my going out wardrobe, or I just want to change my work wardrobe, one affects the others. You will find that if you change your clothing for a certain part of your life it has a knock-on effect into other parts of your life and you're no longer happy with what you used to wear for either work or going out or whatever it is and the same is true of your home you start doing something in one room we just make a few little changes the next thing you're doing the lot and it does affect your entire life and this is what happened with Mr Hunt so he Looked around, I looked around, I saw the possibilities there were he didn't want to spend too much because he obviously was spending so much as it was, despite the money coming in, he was as as he still is quite frugal. So I said, Well, look, the curtains that they have here in this new house are perfectly adequate um in fact they are they look brand new compared to the stuff that you've got and he laughed, and um, he said, Well, let's keep those in. I said, Fine, we'll keep those' So they have remained and they've been looked after by me. Funnily enough, he doesn't look after anything still. And I took note of everything that, that could be kept. There was carpets. was Nothing was threadbare. It was great. Um, it was like him going into a new show home. That's what it was like for him. And I thought, right, well, I'm going to get things cleaned. I'm going to get things sorted. Thankfully, the place was cleaned by the outgoing owners. So we had a bit of good luck there that he didn't have. I didn't have to fight with him about that. But then it was my job to just place where everything was. And this was the part of the job that no one told me to do. And this was the really the sort of the interior design aspect of it. Given a, a certain amount of things, beds, furniture, furnishings, accessories, here is your blank canvas of a house. Where are you going to put them? And with this, I just, carte blanche, I just did what I, what I thought was best. And it worked. Thankfully, it worked supremely well. So this was me falling, if you like, into interior design at the deep end, um, but with a very willing client to let me just get on and get on with it. So back at Mr Hunt's house, I busily cleared things out. Um, I got a second auction house in to have a look at some of the smaller items. So Roseberry's auction house came in. And they took a look at some of the smaller things that Bonhams thought that they couldn't really sell. So a few other things went. But there were uh, another section of things that Roseberry's didn't want. um, But really, no one was really going to want, except perhaps diehard fans of certain things. So there was the odd record player that was there. Um, There was the odd chair. There was the odd sort of set of crockery, which didn't really belong Anywhere, certainly not in the new house. He would know he was never going to use it, um, but it wasn't really worth anything. So, I actually got a clearance firm in, um, and they knew that they could sell some stuff and and not others. So they took a lot of the stuff which I didn't need away. Um, I think with hindsight, if I was perhaps more, shall we say, business-minded, you could have said, well, you could have turned a profit and taken stuff yourself and and made a killing because it would have made no difference to mr hunt, but i didn't really um, feel that way about his things. I thought that he should get money for his own items um, and even though it was I was being paid if you know what i mean i didn 't really see myself as someone who was trying to make a quick buck out of this guy because the job, from my point of view, even though it was difficult, it was hard, it was cold, it was dirty it was um utterly you know it was so tiring I was so tired at the end of the day I remember you're on your feet for the entire time moving around from you're just I was constantly moving thankfully I had my music with me but um, you're constantly moving and it was just exhausting and I didn't really feel it was the right thing to do to sort of uh, fleece him of of money as, as as I suppose some people could have done I wanted to look after him I felt that he was Um, An important person and needed, if you like, uh, looking after in this sort of mad world that we live in. So we cleared everything out um, slowly but surely. I asked him what he wanted to do about um, a bed because I said, look, you're in a single bed. I think it's about time you had a double bed. I can't believe that I was actually having to have this conversation with a grown man of 60 years of age. And, And I said, look, I can get and he was really worried about cost. And I said, look, I can get something which is really good. Um, And you can have storage in the bottom because you've got so much stuff and we can do this and we can do that. And I said, I'll get you a proper headboard and all these sorts of things. And he he just seemed delighted that someone was doing all of this for him. So I said, right, let's get on with it. And um, so I got all the things I kept. um, I kept a couple of the Art Deco beds, the ones that were in the better condition, because obviously we did have a couple of other bedrooms. Um, for guests, which is hilarious, he said, "Well, I might have guests." I'm thinking, "Well, yes, they might be, they might want to come and stay with you this time around because they certainly wouldn't have wanted to have stayed in in the old house." But um, and to this day, I don't think he's ever had guests. It's quite funny, um, but the, so the bed is still there. It's they're still sitting there in their in their place. But um, we moved. I moved everything that I could across um, on the day of the removals. You can imagine it was quite something. I think for him, I took photographs of the empty of of each empty room. And he said, why are you doing that? And I said, just in case anything happens, they say you've left anything or you've taken anything, it's good to have a record, which I always do anyway, of how you leave the property, in what state it's in, what it looks like. So there can be no um, problems after if they say, oh, well, you, you took this, you didn't take that, you you know, you left it in a particular state. I can, you know, you have proof, as it were. So we shut the door. Um, he drove in his car up the road. Um, I walked around the corner. The removal men went off um, to get some food for ready for the unpacking. I went into the estate agent. Um, they bizarrely gave me the key rather than him. And um, he came in and I said, well, this is your new home. And he just stood there. And I think he looked a little bit frightened. But um, I said, don't worry, I know where everything's going. And I had my plans. I'd put... I'd got everything I'd measured every single bit of furniture that was coming along I knew exactly where everything was going I knew where every plug socket was I knew where every lamp was going I knew where every picture was going um and I just said place it here place it there and he he was just amazed that somebody had done the work I really didn't think that he had the capability of doing it himself and it would have taken far too long um, but I made those lovely removal men uh work hard that afternoon and and soon everything was in its rightful place. So, for the end of Mr Hunt, which I'm I'm sure you're all glad to hear, I moved him into his home. He had his new bed. I got him everything from new Bedlin, and It was like setting up home. He did have some sort of cutlery he brought along his old sort of saucepans and frying pans which were hilarious he's still using them today and they still last so who am I to complain um, but he needed there was a few things that that went by the wayside so whereas the gas um, oven hob worked fine the fridge even in the new place sort of was on its way out but of course everything is built in so trying to fit a new fridge into an old space can be quite difficult so he had to go for something which was quite small he didn't understand why. He didn't understand why you couldn't just move all the joinery around. I said, because it's all attached to everything else, etc., cetera, et cetera. So there was a few things to explain, by the way. Um, I got him some new curtains. He didn't know new curtains. He had no idea what Venetian blinds were. You know, he said, what about my privacy? I can, you know, people can see. People can see into the bedroom. They can see me dressing in the morning. And I thought to myself, let me tell you something. No one... Um, is going to want to see you dressing in the morning, but it's fine. We'll get you some Venetian blinds, which we did. There's one other story which must be told, and that's back at the old house. There was one day when I said, I think I'm going to um I I think we need to discuss. I said, I don't know kind of what's up there, but I've noticed you have a loft um, you have an attic. What's up there? And he said, "Oh, there's a few." I said, "I." He said, I, "I think there might be the odd thing up there." He said, "But no, I don't. I don't think there's anything at all." And I said, "Well, I'm going to need to get up there to sh- to be sure." I said, "You can't leave the new owners with stuff, because they'll charge you for getting rid of it, and it could be important." So he said, well, "I'll get a ladder." So he got this ladder, and uh, one morning he said, "I'll take the morning off work, and I'll you know we'll go up there, and I, if there's anything up there, I can pass it down to you." And I said, "Absolutely fine." So he went up this ladder, this rickety ladder. I thought, my God, he's going to, he's going to fall off and I'll be sort of imprisoned for, you know, for killing my client. Um, And he went up and I said, is there a light up there? And he said, no. He said, um, he said, I just normally open the sort of the skylight in the roof. And I said, okay, then now bear in mind that Mr. Hunt was an elderly gentleman, um, as I said, of 60. And he had this sort of Really, he had this sort of grey, whitish hair, um, quite sort of wispy, but sort of almost vaguely sort of combed over from one side to the other. Um, very gentleman he was, and he, he sort of it sort of flapped around sort of on his hair all the time. So the funny thing about it was, as I am sort of standing down in in the on the, the on the landing, looking up um, through the attic hole, he opened up this um, this skylight in the roof. And obviously all you could see was this beautiful blue sky and these, and these uh, white fluffy clouds passing overhead. And then suddenly Mr Hunt's face would appear in this space. Um, and with the sun shining behind it, he looked like God, um, which I know sounds a rather bizarre and funny thing to say. And I don't mean to offend anybody, but I did actually laugh out loud. And I said, "You." I said, "You look like God." I said, "Your hair's all sort of blowing in this wind, and you've got the clouds and blue sky behind you," and I'm looking up at you, and um, and he laughed. He had the grace to laugh, and he said, "Do I?" He said, "Oh, I don't feel, you know, very godlike." And, and I said, "Well," I said, "Never mind that. Let's get on with the job." And up in this loft, I kid you not, he said, "Oh," he said, "I forgot about that." Um, here's my father's skeleton, and I said, "What?" And he said, oh, here's a skeleton. And I'm not joking. There was a, there was a suitcase and in it was a full skeleton. And I was obviously quite visibly shocked. And he, and I said, a skeleton? And he said, yes, my father was a surgeon at St. Barth, St. Barth's Hospital in London, which is a very famous hospital. And he passed me this suitcase down and it was—it did have this skeleton in it and also along with it were lots of his sort of microscope and various other different things. He was a heart surgeon and uh, very well respected. And I'd seen a few books and medical things lying around, but I had no idea. Um, and there were medical instruments and various other different things. Um, and this skeleton and these other medical instruments and, and things from his father's uh, working days uh, were eventually all sold. I think a medical institute uh, picked them up. Uh, when they were sold uh, via roseberries so they went to a good home um, and I think the skeleton got quite a bit of money it's it's so interesting but there were there were a few other things up there but uh, nothing beats the skeleton and uh, Mr Hunt playing God passing it down to me on the landing Uh, quite an amusing story I think you'll agree so Mr Hunt lives on he's still in his house Um, he's a happy bunny I regularly have to go in and um, I get my cleaning outfit on and I go round and I blitz everywhere. Um, I had to get him things like a vacuum cleaner. It's ridiculous, isn't it, when you think about it? But um, he just didn't have this stuff. And although could use it and everything else, he, he just, it wasn't sort of on his remit. He just wanted to sort of potter around in his garden um, and read the catalogues amusingly that came in from Bonhams, which started coming in thick and fast. Um, so... He still lives. He's now retired, very recently retired. And the desk um, I had restored um, along with a few other items. Um, there was a sofa table, which was lovely, that needed to be French polished. Um, and there was some brass inlaid work that needed to be done. So I had a real baptism of fire um, on everything from moving home, clearing the home, selling, um, measuring, layout. Everything from colours, buying furniture, trade accounts, everything. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I just did it. And I think you just kind of get on with it. But I think I relished it. Well, obviously, I relished it and I just went into it and I enjoyed it. He, as I said, he's still with me today. I still every so often threaten I'm going to come down and sort out his Suffolk cottage, which he said, and I quote, Oh, Belinda, it's it's much worse than, 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 than the old house, which... As you can imagine, I don't think you can possibly think it could be any worse. But if it is, I want to go and see it, um, just so I can tell. So I've got a a friend of mine who normally comes on my sort of country house tours and things with me. Um, She, I've said to her, if we go, you're coming with me, because I don't think I'll be able to handle it. And uh, while I go pacing around the place, you can keep him company and talk to him about vegetables or something. So uh, she laughed. So I think we're going to do that. But that's how I sort of fell into if you can call it sort of interior design. And at that point on, I just didn't want to do anything else. I, I just, you just discover, um, or I discovered, rediscovered that I liked working on my own, doing my own thing. Um, and I like working in people's homes. And it was another part of the of the creative element. It was sort of lead me to it, especially something which had a house which had history to it, which this did, um, you know, and even if I didn't know the history, just the items that were in it, were interesting to work with and find out what could be restored, um, why they could, why they couldn't, what was worth things, what why it wasn't. It was just so interesting, and funnily enough the builders which took over the old house to rejuvenate it. They are now going to be working on one of my other new projects. It's almost I've almost come full circle, and they're actually still working. I mean, at the old house um, had some buyers, and I think they've still got it. But I think that no matter what's happened. This happened over the, um, I think, the recession. They had quite a bit of difficulty raising the money to do the amount of work that they needed to do at that old house. So it's taken some time. So I'm going to actually speak to the builders and maybe ask if I can go back, maybe with or without Mr Hunt, and say, could we have a walk around and see see the new property? You know, it'll only take 10 minutes. Would you mind? Um, I'm sure they'll probably be quite happy to, really. Most people are. The builders generally don't uh, don't mind, and generally new owners are always quite uh, pleased to show off what they've been doing. So uh, we will see. I'll keep you informed if that happens. I often go past the house and I look at it and I remember that's where it all started. Um, so interesting, isn't it? But all those all those months, and it did take a good three or four months for me to clear all that stuff out. It was a huge undertaking. Every single room, all the books. There were so many books that went off to charity that people didn't want. Um even the charity places didn't want them and it's staggering when you think about it now. I could have set up my own library with them. But um yeah, it's very interesting. And during that time when I was there I was listening to a particular album, funnily enough, and this is this particular album um reminds me of that time with Mr Hunt. As I was cleaning things up and bopping around the house, um, I was listening to the music of Caro Emerald. And it was her first album, and I didn't know who she was. I think I just heard one track. I thought, that's quite nice, I'll download the album. And that's what I was listening to. And it's become synonymous with, uh, with the lovely Mr. Hunt. Enjoy. So, after Mr. Hunt, that was the end of him, as it were, for that time being and I decided I would make a business out of clearing people's homes, moving them house, sorting out layout and buying them furniture and choosing colours and working out where things were going, everything to do with the home. And I embarked on this rather bizarre journey. Um, I didn't set out to be an interior designer. It wasn't really what I had in mind at all, but actually it's what I became. The more people asked me to do in their homes, the more design-led it became. And I worked out that there were two types of clients. Those that knew what, they, knew what had to be done, maintenance stuff, um, knew work that had to be done on different building things that they wanted done, improvements in their home, and they wanted to do those but really couldn't be bothered um, or wanted to pay somebody else to do them. The second lot of people really just wanted design help. And they were quite happy to hand over everything, but they also wanted the design help. And because I was working across London in different people's homes, and was really exposed to so many different things in the design world, I grew this sort of vast knowledge of where to go, who to speak to, and your own intuition, and I suppose creativity, Grows from there, which is exactly what happened to me, so all in all it 's been a tremendous journey it 's not over yet, of course um, at some point i 'm sure i 'll move into fabrics i 'm sure i 'll move into wallpapers. can you imagine furniture i 've already started doing i 've already started designing furniture for clients because if you can 't find what you want it's that 's the thing that you do you just you make your own um, the book obviously as everyone knows that was that was more of a an answer to people who wanted to know about colour so why wouldn't I do something similar on furniture perhaps, you never know but it's been, um, it's been a good journey so far. Thanks for asking the question to the lovely Jason over at Talking About Design. Um, it's been a very good, um, interesting journey for me to actually look back on all the different things and how I started and where I've come from so I have my thanks to him for that anyway. I'll uh, get off now and um, I think I'll go and finish this walk I'm taking before I get back to my desk.
1: Hey Belinda, lovely to meet you. Just catching up with who you are and what you're about. Um, so I'm kind of listening, binging, as the other gentleman said, on Belinda today. And very pleasing voice and tone you have. So that's all good. Anyway, I couldn't help but over here, since I was listening to it, your discussions about drag and dictate and so on. And I wondered, given that you've got an iPhone, whether you have used drafts by Agile Tortoise. Look it up, drafts. I think you might find it really useful, I certainly do, um, from the perspective that beyond just having a dictate function on it specifically, which is pretty useful, sometimes a little bit annoying um, because you can't edit the dictation, you have to paste it and then dictate again, I've slapped them enough, maybe they'll get over that. But the most important thing about it is it enables workflows, which I think you'll find really, really useful if you get your head around how that works. It works on the principle of markdown. Maybe check it out, let me know what you think. Maybe it's too much for you, I don't know. Thanks.
0: Marcus, thank you for the tip. What a great tip. Um, I would look at that, drafts. I've not heard about that, and workflows. Um, I quite like the sound of it already. I'm going to have to check it out um thank you for that i know it's a it's a funny thing it's when i when i clear up these these two projects that i'm doing at the moment i need to get back to all my other um nonsense that i that i do um you know all the sort of the blogging and the youtube and everything else because i just haven't had the time for it and that's fine you you can't sometimes divide your um attention between the two things but dragon has been something which i'm I looked into it only because I quite like the idea of dictating something by voice rather than typing it something out, which I'm good um, at typing, but in some ways, if it's easier to actually get your thoughts down um, more, well, just quicker, really, isn't it? That's the way it is. But I shall have a look at drafts. Thank you for that. Um, I'm interested to see what these workflows are. I shall report back. It'll take me, um, I would think, a few weeks to get myself um, sorted, but I'm going to put it on my list to have a look at. Um, So thank you for the tip. And um, thank you for the compliment on my dulcet tones here on Anchor. Everybody is subjected to them. Sorry about that. Okay. Thanks, Marcus. Bye. Good evening, my little Anklets. What a day I've had. I've just finished work. I'm just going to have some dinner now, I think. I think I'm going to go for a stir fry. Um, But I have just finished out planning two rooms, layout planning, which can be quite difficult to do when you're not quite sure of the client and what what furniture they want to keep and what do they want to chuck. So I've moved a few things around, made use of some things where I can, um, but now we will wait and see which option they choose. It's quite tricky working things to scale, uh, but I have my photographs, I have my measurements, so it should and normally works out perfectly fine, so I shouldn't worry really. So that's me done for the day. Tomorrow I have some work at my desk to do in the morning and then I'm out meeting my chimney man. Yes, Mary Poppins-like. My chimney man tomorrow on site just to go through chimney liners and and very exciting things like that. In the evening I actually have um, a quick meeting with some online business buddies of mine. So that'll be quite good to see where everybody's at. I haven't done much on my side because I've been too busy with these projects, but it'll be interesting to see where they are on their online journey. should be fun.
2: Evening, Belinda. Um, I had to call into your station. You're the first English lady that I've heard on Anchor, and, uh, I mean, that's just cool. Quite the variety of music on your station and enjoyed listening to your tales of becoming a designer Uh, Something that I enjoy doing as well, graphic illustration and design. Certainly relates to the feeling of boredom as soon as you've mastered something. That's absolutely mean in a nutshell. And uh, as I was telling one of the other stations here on Anchor today, whenever I get that feeling, the first thing I tend to do, take a reality check, put myself back on the ground and say, no, Gary, you still got a lot to learn about this. So plug away. Don't get too big for your boots. Anyways, uh, enjoyed listening to your station today. Hit the favourite button as soon as I heard your segment on Simon station, welcoming him to Anchor, and uh, looking forward to hearing more of your stuff. Cheerio.
0: Thanks, Gary. Always nice to hear from somebody different. Hope you're doing well this evening. Um, Yes, I'm I'm not the only English person here. In fact, there's quite a few of us, but I don't really sort of, um, haven't really connected with so many of them. There's a few now who I sort of say hello to, getting to know. But it's is this. the problem with it is it's just so busy on here. It's um, trying to track everybody down and find out and listen to what everybody else is doing. So you just have to sort of uh, bounce along. But I I stay with my faithfuls, my old faithful, except where business is concerned, as you can tell. When there's something new to be learned, I have to go off and learn it. So um, I'm glad you can relate to that side of things. I think it's always good to... Be able to reinvent yourself and learn different things. In fact, I have a friend who calls me Madonna, which is quite amusing, uh, because I reinvent myself every few years. So I think everyone's waiting for the next one. That'll be fun. Anyway, glad to see you on here, and I shall speak to you very soon.
2: Hey, Belinda. I've been thinking about color this evening, and so I have a question for you. And maybe you've already answered this before, and if you have, that's okay. You don't have to do it again for me. But if you are interested in answering, what was your favorite color as a child and how do you feel about that color in general now? Do you still like it? Do you only like it for specific things and not for other things? Do you gravitate towards it? Does it bring back memories? What do you feel about your favorite childhood color?
0: Oh, Victoria, of course I'm going to answer you, because you're lovely you. Um, What was my favourite colour as a child? It's the same as it is now. Very strangely and quite unusually, it is yellow. I love yellow. And it's actually not really geared to a specific shade, tint or hue of yellow. I just love yellow in general. I think it's because it's um, bright and colourful and... I think it's sunny. I think it's happy. I think it just works and you can't miss it. And it's just one of those things. I'm because I'm a redhead. I'm not supposed to wear it, um, which um, didn't stop me when I was younger at all. I remember I had at one point, you'll find this funny. um, I had a white pair of shorts and I had a bright golden yellow T-shirt and I used to wear them together. And my brother being ever the wit, um, said I looked like a boiled egg. And so he nicknamed me eggy, which was hilarious. And every so often, he still calls me Eggie for some inexplicable reason. Um, so it has a strange sort of connotations for me in some ways, but I've always loved it. But I, again, I'm not supposed to wear it because I'm a redhead. And they say, you know, redheads shouldn't wear, what is it, red, orange and yellow. And I wear all of them. Nothing, nothing stops me. But um, now I still love the colour. I think I'm... Probably drawn to all shades of it, I do like the bright golden color. In actual fact, when I met up with Paul Amani when he came over to the u k came to London and I met up with him, I was wearing a yellow top bright yellow top. Um, I do love the color it's just it's just great, and now I just I feel it's just one of the best colors. I think there's lots of people that go for sort of blue or a particular shade of blue, but um no, for me, yellow. Yellow's my yellow's my thing, um, but thank you for asking. What a fabulous question! That's a really good one. I should. Um, I, th- I think I might start asking people this.
2: Hey Belinda, um, I was just wondering if you could probably tell us like the top five things that you encounter. I mean, top five problems that you encounter with regards to interior design. What sort of clashes do you see with regarding you know regarding color materials etc or even layout of rooms that uh, most people want to go for, but then you would strongly advise against. I've always, always always like to know what sort of mindset people are in when they they try to design a room.
0: Ah, Mike's Mike. Now there's there's a question i 'm um, actually going to give you six I've thought long and hard about these um, and they've been it's been rather like the sort of um, the, the top of the pops it's been like the charts you know straight in at number one and then they all sort of move around when you suddenly realize no that's actually more annoying um, so they were sort of moving up and down so i haven 't sort of got them in any particular um, order but here goes so i 've I've got six for you so the first one is layout um, and the problems that come with that are People want to put too many things in one space and they have too many purposes for the space. So they think, well, I've got this room and it's going to be um, a little bit of a study. There's going to be a desk and then I'm going to have a TV in the corner and then I'm going to have a quiet section over here just for reading. And it's all nonsense. And you suddenly realize that they want it. They should have got a bigger house to fit all these different rooms in because it, you just can't have one room that sort of is a jack of all trades so they try and do too many things with the space um, and too many purposes for that space and they just try and cram too much stuff in and suddenly it looks really cluttered so that's the first thing with layout um, and space the second problem they have is those people that go for all white because they've seen it in a magazine how exciting is that um, actually it's not exciting at all we've all done it um, they think it's chic um, but actually it looks quite bland Because it's invariably their furniture is going to be beige or grey or something like that. And then suddenly everything looks washed out because everything is in neutral. So going for all white steer clear just use some color please just use some color Uh, number three choosing what your friends have Um, this is a fantastic one because it just means it just shows that you're not an individual it's well my friend has got this and so I'd like this you go it works really well I want it in my place and you just think oh god because it's not going to be the same Um, and it's never going to be the same and they can't quite get their head around that so um, choose what you want Um, By all means, look at what your friends have, but you're not them. You wouldn't want to be them and they're never going to be you either. So make your own choices. Number four is a bit of an odd one. Um, It's actually about um, the very natural sort of, uh, shall we say, finishes of seagrass and sizal carpets and runners and things. Um, We've been going through a stage now quite some time of going for these sort of natural fibers. Um, Seagrass jute is another one, um, sort of wool and boot clay, sort of sizal all mixed together, all sorts of different combinations you can have. They are very nice, but they are extremely uncomfortable. And if you've got children, they're not good at all. Um, They can give you carpet burns and all sorts of things. They're also incredibly difficult to clean. You can shake them out, but if you get water on, um, they can shrink and you'll never get them back to the same size. So that's a bit of a problem. I have have one client who had a bit of a drinks party. Um, She had some people come around and they were serving the drinks and they put this whole big bag of sort of ice on this sizal um, rug of hers. She didn't know. Nobody knew. The water dripped down and it shrunk. Um, And now I've got the unenviable task of trying to stretch that rug, that very expensive rug, back to its original shape. So steer clear of those if you can. Number five is people that don't pay attention to quality. They think that you can get everything for, you know, a couple of bucks, a couple of dollars, a couple of pounds, a couple of whatever. Um, You do, unfortunately, pay generally. Um, You don't really get what you pay for. So I would say to people, just work on the assumption you're going to be paying a little bit of extra. People want to scrimp on the most amazing things that they're going to use each and every day. Curtains are one. People scrimp on curtains. I said you cannot scrimp on curtains. It's really noticeable to anybody with an eye. You can see it immediately when you come in. So don't scrimple those. They do it with lights a lot. Uh, They try and do it with furniture. It's less clear with furniture, but certainly curtains you notice, blinds, those types of things. Lights you do as well. They can look really quite uh, cheap so you've got to be careful and the sixth the bonus one is people that rush things those that don't keep to their budgets they just want to rush everything through they don't think about the money aspect of it um and they just want to get everything done now and then they will rue the day that they uh that they didn't make a plan and stick to it keep to your budgets people keep to your budgets take your time work out exactly what you want and then hand it over to your builder and all will be well, I promise you. So there you are, six things. That was a bit of a whirlwind, wasn't it? But I'm glad I've got that all off my chest. Thanks, Mike, Mike.
1: Hello, Miss Belinda. You are quite the storyteller. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm enjoying all the stuff that I'm listening to. I'm going back and listening to a lot of your stuff today. You are quite, quite the cool lady. I'm really enjoying... Uh, learning about you and um, just the way you express and your language and your life. You're amazing. I send you hugs on a beautiful day today, okay? Thank you, my anchor. I like when you say, hello, my anklets. I love when you say that. (laughs) Have a great day today, by the way.
0: Oh, Jesse! That made me laugh um, well <laughs> well, no, thank you for listening along i'm glad that you're you're listening along and you're learning bits and bobs as it as it goes I'm just sort of vaguely rambling along, talking about my life, um, and hopefully people will um like it and maybe learn a few things and just get chatting it's really it's just a nice platform isn't it just to get to know people um and everything else and i'm glad you like being called little anklets it sounds more like ankle bracelets doesn't it um maybe that's what you all are maybe you're all wearing ankle bracelets and i don't yet know about that um but yes no it's good it's good to hear other voices um you guys over there are obviously have a totally different accent than what we do over here, but it's nice to know that um, you're listening to us all over here in London and trying to make sense of this mad life that it is. I wouldn't say it's necessarily um, a-, a wildly professional station, mine, but um, it's certainly kamikaze at times, but that's fine. Fine and dandy. Um, anyway, I'll let you get on. Looking forward to hearing some of your music later on. Have a very good evening, my little anklet. I think... I am inclined to say that I do get a bit of Tuesday-itis. I'm not bothered about Monday because Monday is where things start and I get going at a great rate Um, and I usually start well and by Tuesday I'm probably exhausted and at that stage I think I've still got the rest of the week to go. What do you mean it's only Tuesday? So um, yeah, I think worst day of the week has got to be Tuesday. I do, however, have a bit of a thing about taking Wednesdays off. If someone says you can take a day off in the week, what would it be? Ten to one, I will say, let me take Wednesday because it's a really nice break and it just splits up the week. That's my version of having a double weekend.